you can get 20% off StravaCraft Coffee when you use the code DNVR20 online at StravaCraftCoffee.com. You can also subscribe and save 20% with a StravaCraft Coffee subscription. Everybody's got subscriptions. If you're listening to this, you probably have a subscription or a membership to DNVR. If you don't, you should get on board. We know a bunch of you have taken advantage of the one-time code with Strava, and now you can save 20% off of your favorite coffee forever, forever and ever. You'll never have to put your credit card info in again with this Strava Craft Coffee subscription. So subscribe and save 20% with that subscription. Enter promo code DNVR20 if you haven't used that offer already for 20% off your first order. You can get your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks with that subscription. And of course, Strava Craft Coffee is packed with CBD. It can help relieve long-term migraines, back pain, a ton of other issues as well. Remember, purchase online for 20% off using the code DNVR20 or subscribe and save 20% off of every order. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the DNVR Nuggets Podcast Notebook Edition. I'm your host, Adam Montez, writing solo today, and it's going to be a bit of a different notebook edition because, of course, the NBA went on strike, you know, this week. I had these notes prepared, rewatched the game, was all ready to share these with you, and then when the NBA sort of went on, uh, you know, the players decided to take a stand, decided not to play. Um, it kind of just didn't seem timely to release the notebook episode. So um, now that we're getting back into basketball and game six being as pivotal as it is, you know, I, I want to share at least some of these notes with you. So I'm going to get through those and just kind of talk about what I think to be the battlegrounds for game six. I feel like I see the series pretty clearly. I mean, we've seen the evolution of it. We've seen where it's gone. I'm not, you know, I think there's going to be some adjustments made, especially on the Utah Jazz end. I think Denver sort of made some adjustments that have worked, and we're going to talk about those. Um, but I think we see now exactly where the battle lines are and like what, what, it, what each team feels like they're comfortable giving up and what each team feels like they need to do to win. So I'm going to talk about those things. First, of course, today's episode of the show is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't forget, download the DraftKings app, use promo code DNVR, and then you can bet on all the action. Lots of cool stuff, odds boosts, all kinds of cool things going on with, with DraftKings. Right now, I'm telling you, they're trying to emerge into this market, so they're giving money away, basically. It's been crazy, some of the deals that they have on there. Um, all of the DNVR um, staff is talking about just like how crazy of a run they've been on, in large part because of these odds that DraftKings is, um, is giving everybody. So download the app, use promo code DNVR. So the first thing I want to talk about is just that, you know, the Nuggets were scheduled to play on Thursday, and of course on, on Wednesday is when the Milwaukee Bucks went on strike, and so now they're playing on Sunday. So a couple things happened here. Number one, I thought that Denver had taken momentum in the series after game five, you know, played a really close tough loss in game four that gave Utah the 3-1 series lead. You wanted to see how Denver responded. I thought Denver responded with a lot of toughness, could have easily quit when they were down 15 in the third quarter. But they made some adjustments to how they were defending, and I thought for the first time in the series, they stopped the Utah Jazz offensive attack, hold them, I believe, to 23 points in the third quarter, 21 in the fourth, or maybe I mixed those two up. But either way, 44 in the second half. And it was really the first time in the entire series that Denver had gotten stopped. So I looked at that, and especially the way that they did it, which we're going to talk about in the show, 
And I'm thinking, okay, Denver has some momentum going in here. And if you can get into game six and have another quarter or another half like that, because Utah has, I mean, Utah has been scoring at an insane clip this entire series, games one, two, three, four, all of those in the first half of game five, every quarter looked the same. Denver either outscored them with heroics from Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, or they got outscored by Utah because they just couldn't get any stops. Utah, maybe they would miss shots here or there, but they were getting the shots that they wanted in the second half and really in the fourth quarter. But in the, you know, the final five minutes or so, four minutes of, of the third quarter, Denver started to do some things and Utah ran into a wall. So I thought, you know, going into game six, let's see what you, adjustments Utah makes. But if they have a half where they don't score and say Denver gets out to a 10-point lead, I thought that would fully switch the, switch the pressure back onto Utah. Because anytime in a series, when you've been having your way with something and all of a sudden you no longer are, you know, that makes all the role players in particular, but all the players on the court sort of start to second guess. Do we stay with what we're doing because it worked for so long or do we start trying other things? Do guys get less confident taking open shots? So I thought Denver had that. You take this five-day break. You know, I don't know that that necessarily you're going to be feeling that so many things have happened emotionally that I don't know that there's any continuity in the series. The way I would look at it is more sort of like what the play-in game was supposed to be, the eighth, ninth play-in game this year, in that it's a completely new series. There's no momentum either way. There's all these distractions and emotional weight and everything else for both teams. And now you go into a series in which Utah needs to win once and Denver needs to win twice. And I think that's really you know, what you can say about it. The adjustments we're going to talk about here in a second, th those things still apply. But I just don't know that emotionally you know, one good quarter, Denver comes out really good defensively in the first quarter, it's going to really swing things. I think that you know, it's going to be a little bit different in that regard. But, um, you know, then I, that's another thing I'm kind of curious for. The playoffs, you know, LeBron James every year locks himself out allegedly of all of his social media, right? Okay, it's time to shut that stuff down. It's the playoffs. We need full focus. Mine needs to be incredibly sharp, whatever. The fact that the NBA players have sort of been taken out of that on top of all of the other emotional stresses of 2020, and I know people laugh when they say that, oh, these are professional athletes, but... You know, they have a lot on their, you know, this bubble being away for their family for two months, being around the same people, around the teammates for nonstop. You know, I just, it's different than most games. They don't have those emotional releases that they usually do. And then throw on top of that what we've heard from so many players this week about, you know, feeling weird about being inside the bubble. So I do think that emotionally, this is going to be a very tough game uh, for the Denver Nuggets. And I'm really curious to see how they respond. And I don't know that you can necessarily judge whatever happens in this game you know I came in fully prepared to kind of say you know Denver this is you know it's going to be embarrassing if they lose this series Utah this I, I think going with it right now we're going to analyze it in the offseason we're going to have takes no doubt about it we're going to talk about where the Nuggets go should they lose this series or you know what it means if they win we're going to talk about all those things but I do think that there is at least in this moment I look at it and I go wow this series is just so unlike any other series that has happened before or will happen again and um you know, I, I just think that's important sort of context for uh, analyzing this series. So those are the things, kind of the broad strokes. And then, of course, there was a report. I think Jalen Brown today said that he was in a elevator with Mason Plumley, and Mason Plumley was talking to himself, basically trying to tell him like, "Hey, you're playing basketball. You want to be here." Like he was basically talking himself up because he was so depressed. And so that just kind of tells you where these players are now. Let's get into the details though of the show because I think that's what you want to hear, and that's what's most important here. And number one. Michael Malone has a difficult job 
given who's healthy and available to him and given how Michael Malone has handled this season. What I mean by that, I think two of the most important players in the series now going forward are going to be Michael Porter Jr. and P.J. Dozier. And those are two players that just haven't had a lot of experience right now with the Denver Nuggets lineup. And you're asking guys that have the tools to sort of do the thing you need, but they don't necessarily have the chemistry that you need. And so Michael Malone has a tough job because he needs to really avoid the lineups that have murdered Denver in the series and that I think are going to murder them in game six should they have to rely on them. And some of those lineups are lineups that killed them in in game five. You know, you throw out, you trot out a lineup with Jokic, Monte Morris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig. So you look at that and you say, okay, who amongst those players is really going to make things easy for Jokic, your star player? Well, it's not going to be the two power forwards. It's not going to be Torrey Craig. You know, Monte Morris was off in that last game. Lineups like that are just an absolute killer offensively. You know, Michael Malone in that game went a lot to sort of isolation post-ups with Jokic. If you read the list, if you look at the videos, you can see these lineups and just say, like, man, what kind of offense is this? This is not – especially when you see Utah scoring as efficiently from behind the arc, getting to the foul line, and then you think, okay, now you're expecting Jokic to go one-on-one when there's literally three, four help side defenders with a foot in the paint ready to pounce and, oh, by the way, kick out shooters who are – at best streaky, um, but certainly not the type of threats that you want to count on um, you know, in those types of moments. So Michael Malone, I think, just has to be very careful that he has lineups that make sense both offensively and defensively. And then when you go with Jokic, Grant, um, and, and Paul Millsap, which is the starting lineup, and Torrey Craig, but you, you go with those three specifically, those are all traditionally front court players. Jeremy Grant has had to learn how to defend like a guard, guarding Donovan Mitchell, getting over ball screens, and he's learning that on the fly, and I think he's he's doing a good job given how little he sort of has experience doing this, but I don't think that you want to count on that lineup for heavy rotation minutes. Malone, it was a security blanket for him in game uh, four. It worked a little bit in game four. It started to work a little bit less in game five. I think by game six, Utah will have that figured out, and you need to find a rotation that does not rely heavily on that. The fact that Denver has had five days off, by the way, maybe this allows you to play your best lineups for longer periods of time. I would hope so. Um, also maybe the addition of Gary Harris allows you to play lineups that are a little bit more, make a little bit more sense. Although I don't know about throwing Gary Harris into an elimination game. Who knows what you're going to get out of him. But I do think that you look at this game, five days rest. What, what's the point in, in resting Jokic and Murray? These guys are going to have to play, I'm guessing 40 plus minutes in this game. And, um, the nice thing about that is Denver's best lineups are very good. Unfortunately, they've got a lot of bad ones. So the the rotation, I talk about it a lot throughout the season, but this is one of the reasons why I wish we had more data points on some of these lineups that make the most sense. And I think that Michael Malone and his staff probably know that at this moment, that there's lineups they have to avoid, some of those bigger ones. Um, but but we'll see what happens. I think also when you go with – speaking of the rotation, P.J. Dozier was so good in this game – in large part because he has all these defensive tools, both as an on-ball and, I mean, P.J. Dozier, 
I put this up on the list. He was one of my featured uh, things. And by the way, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, if you go to you, if you go to the DNVR YouTube page and subscribe, you actually can see the entire list. This last episode, I thought because of how wonky everything was, I was like, okay, I'll throw this out there. Maybe it'll get people to subscribe. You'll see it's a lot of great clips. I'm telling you, you're going to want to watch them. You're going to really come away with from it, having a good understanding of where the battlegrounds are, both offensively and defensively. But you also get to see what I highlighted about PJ Dozier, not just great at staying in front of even Mike Conley, very quick player, uh, Donovan Mitchell, very quick player, staying in front of those guys, using his feet, not necessarily his hands, and then challenging shots. He did a great job of that. But also as a backside rotation player, there's multiple plays I highlight in there where I just say, wow, look at PJ's anticipating the most vulnerable spot in the defense as an off-ball player, and he's playing it perfectly to make things difficult for Utah. So I'm just so high on him and his talents. The one thing I don't like about PJ's game, and we did not see this in game five, and I hope we don't see it in game six or seven, he can be, it's very clear that he's been the best player on his team 99% of his life. His role in the NBA, especially on the Denver Nuggets, is going to be as the fifth best player in a starting lineup or, you know, a, a fourth or fifth best player in a, you know, a, a, a floor general for a second unit. I actually think he has upside to be a, you know, a fifth guy as a starter, like basically be what Torrey Craig is. A lot of people say, well, he's not a great shooter great ball handler he allows Jamal Murray to get off ball he allow he allows another person to sort of attack and get into the paint and by the way he's very good at getting into the paint that's one of the skills that Denver lacks especially without Will Barton Will Barton is probably the best on the Denver team at getting by that first line of defense into the painted area without him PJ Dozier I think becomes especially important the problem is PJ Dozier doesn't make great decisions always when he gets there he's an attacker and I think against lesser talent you look at his numbers in the G League 30 points 10 assists he, he can be very effective there I don't think he's going to be effective there at the NBA level certainly I, I would say almost certainly not in the next year and Absolutely not in the next three days, which is game six and game seven. What Denver needs of P.J. Dozier is to be incredibly in control and to realize that when he's sharing the court with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, those are the guys. Those are the guys. Even when he's sharing the, the floor with, say, just one of those guys and maybe Michael Porter Jr. or Jeremy Grant, those are the guys. He's after that in the pecking order offensively. There, you can stay aggressive, but you just we don't need too much P.J. Dozier shooting, too much P.J. Dozier dribbling. P.J. Dozier is there to sort of set the table, play a lot of defense, and just be a spell, a guy that can take the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands when needed and get into the paint when needed, but not it's not going to be needed too much. So I love P.J. Dozier. I thought he was perfect in Game 5, and I hope we get the perfect version of him in Game 6 and not the version that presses. And then the same thing goes for Jeremy Grant. You know, him getting more and more minutes now alongside Jokic and Murray, he can knock down that three. I think he has a green light there. He's had a little bit of a green light attacking off the dribble, although that's where I'd really like to kind of scale him back situationally. When he's out there with just one of those guys, especially just Murray and maybe you know some of the second unit guys, maybe he could dial that up a little bit and be more aggressive. But he's going to be very important, as we're going to talk about here in segment two. He's going to be very important in the pick and roll offensively and, and, and pick and pop in game six. But he needs to be really smart about his shot selection. He can't just be jacking uh, shots every time he gets. And I thought in this game, in the third and fourth quarter when Denver was making a run, he was a part of the offense in a way that was natural. And I thought in this game when D Denver was giving up a run, there were a couple plays where he just got a little, as George Carl would say, a little thirsty, meaning 
He didn't trust the offensive process. He tacked when he shouldn't have. He dribbled into traffic. He threw up a, a drive where he basically fell down and threw up an air ball and then ended up giving up a five-on-four the other way. And then the most egregious example of this, so Denver has worked so hard all series to try to create mismatches, right? Gobert has been able to sort of stick on Jokic and not get switched off of him in their pick and roll until this last game. Denver was able to get a couple of those. But there was one example where Jokic gets a rebound, starts dribbling it, gives, advances the ball up to Torrey Craig, who then gives it on the cut to Jeremy Grant, and Rudy Gobert steps, steps up and takes Jeremy Grant. Perfect. We've got him. You've got Paul Millsap being guarded by Mike Conley. You've got Nikola Jokic being guarded by Joe Ingles. You have two huge mismatches by guys that know how to exploit mismatches. But Jeremy Grant got a little too excited in transition, runs at Rudy Gobert, jumps in the air, spins, and throws it right to Joe Ingles and turns it over. And I'm sitting here thinking, Denver has gotten so few transition points and so few possessions where Utah has been in a bind because they've been switched in an uncomfortable way. They got one. And Jeremy Grant got a little too aggressive. So, P.J. Dozier, Jeremy Grant, very important roles in this series. But they have to understand their roles and especially understand those roles when they're sharing the court with the starting unit. If you guys are looking to pick up some beer this week, maybe you got some big plans this weekend, socially distant, of course, make sure to pick up some Breck brews. And if you're looking to switch it up on the type of Breck brew you're drinking, check out the Avalanche Amber. You know, maybe you're not a super IPA guy. Maybe you're not into the sours or uh, the lighter beers. The Avalanche Amber is like that perfect in between. It tastes especially good if you're watching an Avs game uh, this weekend, but the Avalanche Amber, an ultra-reliable beer from Breck Brew. That's good for any occasion. Like I said, if you're watching an Avs game, maybe at a sports bar, maybe at the DNVR bar. If you're out at a park, having a park day, Avalanche Amber, a great beer for that occasion as well. You can always pick up Breck Brew at any liquor store. And if you don't know where a liquor store is that carries Breck Brew, they have their Breck Brew beer locator on their website as well. If you guys want to get in on the tournaments that we do every weekend on WGT World Golf Tour, it's super easy to get involved. You can go up against me, Adam, vote. All of the staff here at DNVR, you can go up against fellow DNVR members in the community. Just download WGT World Golf Tour from dnvrgolf.com. Search for the DNVR Three Country Club. We've already got three country clubs pretty much filled up with DNVR members that compete in weekly tournaments on WGT. It's super fun when you're not playing in these tournaments with us. There's 20 million people online that you can play with. You can do close to the pin challenges. You can play Pebble Beach. You can play St. Andrews, all the classic courses. So it's a lot of fun. Download WGT from dnvrgolf.com. Search for the DNVR3 Country Club. All right, back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. And I want to talk about a couple of the battlegrounds here for the Nuggets. Number one, defensively, Denver made an adjustment. They had been they had tried a bunch of different things out against Utah through games one through four. Um, especially games one through three, I should say. In games four, and in the first half of game five, Denver seemed content to drop Jokic in the pick and roll really low. I think they were more concerned than anything with Utah's kickout three-pointers. Denver had just been giving those up a lot, and when you play too aggressive up in the pick and roll, you you tend to create a lot of rotations on the backside that lead to kickouts, and that's where Denver really gets blown out. Remember, games two and three weren't close. Games one, four, and five were, and I know Denver uh, lost game four, 
so you can sometimes overreact to that. But when you gave up a lot of kickouts, as you did in two and three, you get blown out. When you give up 57 points to John, Donovan Mitchell in game one, you actually still won that game. Um, and even in game four, when Donovan Mitchell had 50, you almost won that game or had 51. So I think Denver says, you know, what can we take away? Can we get better at guarding Donovan Mitchell? I think they've learned that, yes, they can be better than the 51 and the 57-point game. Um, I don't know how much better. I think Donovan Mitchell is going to have a fantastic game six, and if should it go seven, I think he's going to have a fantastic game seven. But if he does that from the from the mid-range and from hard, working hard in the pick-and-roll to get to the basket and finish – I think that's different than him and the Utah Jazz winning off of kick-out three-pointers, pull-up three-pointers, and getting to the foul line. So Denver you know, had been dropping in the pick-and-roll, had been dropping Jokic very, very low, and it just hadn't been working out. And again, that drop, they've tried a bunch of different things, and when they got aggressive, they give the kick-outs. When they dropped, Donovan Mitchell would go out, and they weren't having much success. What they discovered after going down 15 – and then changing things up, and they had to. We had to, they had to get more aggressive. They had to try some. You keep playing drop, and they keep even if you just kind of play them even from there on out, you're going to get beat. What Denver started to do a couple different things. They brought Jokic up more to the level of the screen. This is a more aggressive style. They used more length in the lineup. So having Dozier out there, having Grant, having Michael Porter, used more more length and mobility in the starting lineup and more guards. Quite frankly. Denver's played a majority of the series with three bigs on the court. I mean, to me, it's absolutely insane. I think it's taken way too long to adjust away from that. But Denver finally said, okay, why don't we play with guys that are more mobile, have some length, and let's bring Jokic up on the level of the screen. Let's force the on-ball defender. Usually it's either Torrey Craig or Jeremy Grant. Those are the, the guys that are primarily in that, in that role on Donovan Mitchell. And they're going to force him towards Jokic. When Jokic plays up like that... He's basically saying, as Donovan Mitchell comes around the screen, I'm going to meet him up at the level of the screen, and I'm here. If Donovan Mitchell gets around to the other side, so say, just for, for purposes, let's say the screen is allowing Donovan Mitchell to go towards his right hand. Well, Jokic will be up there ready to meet him. Torrey Craig has to sort of force him that direction, meaning... You can't. You got to take the guesswork away. You can't let him reject the screen and go to his left hand. Go back to his left hand because Jokic is on the other side of the screen. And if you, if Donovan Mitchell successfully crosses you over before the screen and gets to that left hand, there's nobody there to stop him from getting out of the paint. There's nobody there to stop him from pulling up from the three point line. So Torrey Craig and Jeremy Grant, first thing they have to do is force the ball to go the direction that they want it to. Okay, the screen's coming this way. You have to take the screen. You cannot reject it. Second thing that has to happen is Jokic can't allow Donovan Mitchell to beat him around the corner or to pull up from three. This is why you bring him up. Donovan Mitchell has been on fire at those pull-up three-pointers. So if you bring Jokic up, the number one thing it does is at least makes Donovan Mitchell not feel as open. Now, he could just go right into a shooting motion and, and drain a three in Jokic's eye. I don't think Jokic would block him. But by having Jokic up at the level of the screen, at least gives the feel and the sense of you're not t fully open, and, and so he's not taking those. He took a lot fewer of those when Jokic was playing up. In fact, I don't think he took any with Jokic playing up. There was one he took where Jokic was a little bit in between, not quite a drop, not all the way up. But when Jokic was relatively close to where he was supposed to be when playing up, Donovan Mitchell didn't even attempt a three, and that's part of it. 
The other part is not letting him get around the outside of his right hand. I've talked about this in the past, but Donovan Mitchell is so good at attacking the paint going right. If he can get downhill to his right hand, you can just tell he's that he's right-hand dominant. So he, he spent a majority of his life attacking off his right hand, jumping off his left foot, and elevating to the basket. He's got so many moves. And Jokic has a tough job because he has to step up, not let him take the three, but also not let a quicker player beat him around the outside. Jokic should be good at this, believe it or not. And he has actually, I've always said, Jokic is a better defender when he plays up and engages. Now, he's not good enough to stop Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert pick and roll. That's a really, really dynamic duo. It's going to take the full team. But I do think he can play this in-between game where you're pressuring only so much so that Mitchell doesn't pull up. And the moment he starts dribbling forward, meaning trying to go past that three-point line, Jokic just needs to get back. He doesn't have to beat him left to right. He just has to get backwards because all you're doing is trying to make Donovan Mitchell hesitate long enough for Torrey Craig or, or Jeremy Grant, whoever's on ball, to recover, and then you can get back into the paint. So if Jokic can step up high enough to get him to dribble but then get back far enough so that Donovan Mitchell doesn't beat him around the corner into the basket, that's a win. And then finally, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he's so good. You have to take away so many different things. This is why it's so complicated. You also can't get split. And Donovan Mitchell, that power dunk he had in the fourth quarter, that came off of splitting the the uh, on the pick and roll. Jokic stepped up. He goes, he fakes like he's going outside. Jokic takes a step wide. Donovan Mitchell sp- splits it back, and the rest is history. He elevates and gets a highlight dunk. So it's a tough thing to do. Don't let him pull up for three. Don't let him reject the screen. Don't let him get around the outside, and don't let him split the defense. It's really, really tough, and Jokic has to be really on his game pressuring Mitchell enough that he feels he has to go, but not so much that he gets beat behind him. Torrey Craig has to force the, the or and Jeremy Grant has to force Donovan Mitchell to go to the direction of the screen, and then he has to fight as quickly as possible to recover while Jokic is up top, so you know, trying to pressure him. The other thing that Denver did in this game that made this defense more effective, it, it seemed to me was that the guys on the back end, number one, they had length. So if you you talk about uh, Donovan Mitchell having to attack that against Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic, well, that's two guys with size. Or, or maybe it's Michael Porter and Jokic or Michael Porter and Grant. You know, it, all the combinations that you have, Dozier, Craig, Grant, uh, MPJ, Jokic, those guys all have a lot of size, and Donovan Mitchell has to really work. If he does pick up the ball and try to throw it to the roller or swing it to the other side, he has to throw it over an enormous amount of length. So Denver, that's, that's one of the things that you do. And even though Paul Millsap is tall, he's a guy that's just a little bit slower. He's not quite as athletic, not quite as long and lanky. Um, you know, same goes for Amante Morris. So Denver, I think, having the length on the court makes this a little bit easier. It makes the margin for error wider. But one thing Denver has been doing, we talked about the kickout. So even when you defend this well, a good point guard can get the ball to um, Rudy Gobert on the roll, and then it feels like the defense has to collapse. If Rudy Gobert catches it at the free throw line, he's so tall, that's one dribble or one step, and it's a dunk. Well, what Denver did in this game was really dare, or what appeared they did, was really dared Rudy Gobert to beat them by giving him sort of late help. Meaning, rather than rotate in and fully panic for Rudy Gobert, and then he kicks it right back out to the guys in the corner for three, and that's where Utah really gets uh, that snowball effect. Instead, they kind of let him dribble and then would collapse on him and make try to make him make a contested layup, take away the dunk, but maybe make him sort of really reach. And he was not up to the challenge in that game. He had actually a pretty terrible game. Nobody talks about Gobert when he plays poorly. Um, but when he had a pretty, pretty awful game in this one, and I thought Denver said, can Gobert score 30-something points off of short rolls and reading the defense and doing this? I don't think that he can. 
Can he beat you by kicking out to wide open guys because you committed so hard to him? Absolutely, because Joe Ingles in the corner, you know Jordan Clarkson in the corner, uh, Mike Conley in the corner. They've got some guys, Niang. They've got guys that can knock down that shot if you give it to him. So Denver said, we're not going to overreact. We're going to make Rudy Gobert make tough plays, and he just could not do it in this game. And I think that's a winning strategy. Now, Utah's really good. They got a lot of really good players. They can make adjustments. They can throw other players in the pick and roll. They're really good team. And expecting Denver to fully shut that off, that's not really the goal. It's just can that be better than what they were getting out of the drop coverage? And can it be good enough to allow them an advantage when they, you know, if you could get stops, Denver is scoring at an insane rate right now. I mean, Denver, everybody's talked about how bad their defense has been. Their offense has been almost just as good. Remember, Denver is um, a a blown foul call in game four away from being up in the series 3-2, and the narrative's completely different. So as bad as Denver has been defensively, their offense has been great. Can this adjustment allow their defense to just be a little bit worse than their offense? And I think the answer is yes. I'm just curious if Denver's going to be able to execute this, especially given that two of the key players of executing that defense are going to be P.J. Dozier and Michael Porter Jr., two guys that the Nuggets just don't have a ton of familiarity with and a ton of chemistry with just yet but I'm curious to see it we'll take one more break and then on the other side I'm going to talk about the offensive adjustment that Denver made that is equally as important and I think is going to play a big part in game six we'll be right back first everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner that's right football is about to be back it's like a week and a half away it's crazy to celebrate football's hundred and first year DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app is putting new users in the center of the action with a free $101 bet when they place a bet on the Kansas City versus Houston Thursday night game. This touchdown of a deal is only available for 101 hours, so get in on all the action right now. You heard us right. DraftKings is giving all new users a free bet of $101 once they sign up and place a bet of $10 or more on the Kansas City or Houston game. Absolutely, I'm telling you guys, the promos they have right now are absolutely insane. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Uh, use promo code DNVR. That's how you qualify for this. It's a limited time offer. And uh, you must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. And that brings us to the pick of the week. The DraftKings pick of the week. We're going to talk about this a lot more in segment three about why I'm going this with this. But I'm looking at Nikola Jokic's line tomorrow. And I'm seeing the assist total at seven and a half. And for the first time in the series, I'm picking the over. I think Denver has an interesting adjustment that's going to open up some things for Nikola Jokic. So seven and a half assists, I like it. I like that line. I like Denver's chances. That's my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week. Also want to tell you about Manscaped. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there's one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. Um, The Lawnmower 3.0, it's a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Centric bathe and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down below. Really cool product. And they got all kinds of other stuff there. They got the shears. They've got the uh, uh, the weed whacker for your nose. The crop reviver to keep you uh, smelling fresh. Keep you uh, deodorized. All kinds of great stuff. I mean, I know this stuff sounds silly and we make it silly on purpose, but the truth is Manscaped 
number one in men's grooming and men's uh, below the belt grooming. Really, really cool place. Um, listeners also get 20% off and free shipping when they use the promo code DNVR20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off your entire purchase with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use promo code DNVR20. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. I love that we get the uh, like the sexy music for the Manscaped read. Um, all right, back to the offensive end of the court here because Denver made a couple of adjustments here that were equally as interesting as the D. I think the defense is probably the most interesting, but the offensive adjustments, I think, can really open things up. And namely, what they did, it's funny because this is something I wrote about and I thought they were going to do in game one. I definitely thought they were going to do it more in game two and then i was shocked that they didn't do it in game three but here we are in game five and i think they've discovered something they ran it a little bit in game four too but it would actually be one of the keys for me in game six it would be something of a staple that i would run for them so when denver runs the one five pick and roll rudy gobert has just sat back in the paint and has basically said if Jokic beats us from three he beats us from three and guess what Jokic started eight for eight and was just absolutely on fire in game. What didn't even talk about on this show, but it was absolutely on fire. And that sort of stretched, you know, the defense a little bit. I think Denver's going to need that from Jokic again, maybe not eight for eight, but I do think that if he can knock down two or three, three pointers early in this game, it affects the way Rudy Gobert and the Utah jazz emphasize their defense. And that's a win for Denver. The more you can draw Gobert out of the paint, the better, but that's not the only way to draw Gobert out of the paint. The other way is to have Jokic not set the screen at all. Either run some of those inverted 5-1 pick and rolls, which Denver hasn't done very much in this series at all, or, as they did in Game 5, use another screener. Maybe it's Jeremy Grant. Maybe it's Paul Millsap when he's on the court. Maybe it's Torrey Craig a little bit when he's sort of in that, you know, if he's being guarded by the player that Denver wants to target, which has been Niang or primarily with Jamal Murray, honestly, is Joe Ingles, a great defender, but just Murray has him figured out. So bringing other players out there. Now, one thing Denver did in game five was they placed Jokic like in the corner or on the wing and basically had him standing there, which works a little bit, you know, and then you Gobert stuck with him. Sometimes Jokic was down in the dunker spot. Gobert would stick a little too close to him. Jamal Murray would do his thing, run the pick and roll with somebody else, get into the paint and Gobert wouldn't rotate in time. I suspect, so first of all, this worked. I suspect there's two things that Utah's going to do a lot more of. The, one of them is, I think Gobert's going to be more fully committed to stop stepping up in, in, on, on those possessions as sort of a backline defender. Not Instead of guarding the pick and roll, he now becomes a help side guy. And I think he's going to commit a little bit more. So Jamal Murray needs to be ready for that. And this is why I think Jokic, this is one of the reasons I think Jokic is going to have more assists in this game is you make... First of all, you make Rudy Gobert have to cover more of the court. He's moving around. Now you're kicking it to Jokic, who, A, yeah, he can sort of get the, the lay-ins and, you know, these are drop-off little layups, or you kick it out for three, he can knock those down. But I also think it's just going to lead to more offense for Jokic. So he becomes more of a, okay, Murray broke down the defense, Gobert rotated over, kick it out to Jokic, who goes into immediate DHO with P.J. Dozier or with, you know, Michael Porter Jr., and you get a, a nice wide-open three. I hope Denver's worked on these things over the last few days because I think that's one way that you sort of beat Gobert. So um, so that's that's one thing. I think Gobert's going to commit a little bit more, but I think Denver's going to stick to some of these other guys setting the screen. But here's how Utah defended that in Game 5, and they did a really bad job on it. They tried to trap 
Jamal Murray in the pick and roll. And when Torrey Craig was on the court, they actually had some success with this, in part just because I think Torrey Craig not exactly great at reading the court and where he's supposed to be. Hopefully Denver went over this with him a little bit more and just anticipate, hey, they're going to both jump out at Murray. You become the release valve, and if you have poise and you stay in control, you can attack four on three the other direction. Um, but I don't think that Denver's going to put Torrey Craig in that position. I think they're going to put other players, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, uh, Paul Millsap, I suspect that those are the guys that are going to get the nod to sort of become the ball screeners here. Maybe even use some of the guard-to-guard action and just try to iso Murray. That, that's another way you can, you know, Jamal Murray was so good in isolation late in this game, attacking guys that he felt confident against, namely, again, Joe Ingles. But, um, you know, taking Jokic out of that, they sit up, up and trap, but I just think Denver needs to be prepared for draw that trap as far away from the basket as you can. Sucker them into trapping you closer to half court. Get the quick release valve and then attack the basket. By the way, this is what Utah did in games two and three. Denver started stepping up on the side. They rolled Gobert to the free throw line, got the quick pass to him there, and now Denver was beat. They had two guys way standing out above the three-point line. Rudy Gobert rolling to the basket. It was either a dunk or it was a kick out to a wide-open three-point shooter. So I think Denver can mimic that if Utah's going to trap the ball. And by the way, I have video examples of this up on DNVR or on our YouTube page. So again, check that out. You'll see exactly what this looks like. There's no mistaking it. But I think this is... I think Denver found something here. Gobert has been able to sit in that paint and just patrol it because of the way Denver has attacked it. And they attacked it over and over again. And by the way, they attacked Denver. This isn't, you know, it's a little bit of a, a, a blame on Denver and their strategy coming in the series. But the Denver, the Murray-Jokic pick and roll is deadly. And I think it's going to continue to be deadly. But when you will do it over and over and over again and you allow Gobert to just kind of stand in the same spot, you allow Donovan Mitchell just to stand in the same spot, I don't think you're making them work. And I think that mixing this in with some of the some of the using Jeremy Grant as a screener is going to really allow some things to work and then that brings me to the other thing Denver did the double stagger they didn't just use one player sometimes up top they did a lot of double stagger screens and double stagger pin downs to get guys coming off the screen again if you have Monte Moore starting PJ Dozier playing a lot of minutes both both of those guys getting minutes alongside Jamal Murray well that allows Denver to run some actions for Murray off ball so PJ Dozier brings it up you get a double stagger screen up top for him and then you immediately get a double stagger pin down for Jamal Murray so Murray can so number one double stagger for PJ Dozier um PJ uh Rudy Gobert has to step out on that. Then you get a, a, a pin down for Jamal Murray. Right as Gobert is recovering from the first pick and roll, he has to rotate over now to stop Jamal Murray from attacking. And on the backside, by the way, you're probably producing switches. Denver had a lot of success with that, and I think that they can build off of that to get even more looks. One thing Denver did in this one is they had Jeremy Grant as the first screener and Jokic as the second. I would actually flip that. Rudy Gobert's guarding Jokic. I would have Jokic as the first screener and Jeremy Grant as the second one, and then roll Jeremy Grant so that uh, Rudy Gobert has to decide, do I go protect the paint and basically switch on to Jeremy Grant, or do I stick to Jokic? So I think Denver tried some things finally in the series, uh, had tried some things they that maybe weren't a big part of their offense throughout the regular season, but things that specifically take advantage of what Utah is trying to do and has had success in the series doing. And by the way, this is what the NBA is about in the playoffs. You know, the Utah Jazz are not a spread pick-and-roll team to the extent that they have been in the series. They just happen to – Quinn Snyder saw something that, that they can take advantage of against Denver, and they played that note over and over and over again, and that's what's brought them so much success. Um, Denver, I think, is finding those things, 
Can they now execute at the level that Utah did on the fly, adjust their game plan to take advantage of it? That's what we're going to find out. And I think it's the determining factor of if Denver is going to extend this series into seven games or not. Can they defend in the pick and roll by stepping up, being more aggressive? Does Utah have a counter to it? And offensively, can they score without using Jokic as the primary screen or at least mixing it in um, with a lot of frequency? Jeremy Grant, some of these other guys, are they prepared for the trap? Those are the battlegrounds for me. So... Um, I'm excited for it. I'm very interested. I think Denver, you know, if they can get through game six, I think in a lot of ways the it, the series almost tilts in their favor if you can get to game seven. But as the Nuggets have said all along, it's one game at a time. I think you could put a lot of doubt into the Utah Jazz's mind by coming out tomorrow and getting some stops on the defensive end. And if you do that, you get through game six with a win. Anything's possible in game seven. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Before we get out of here, though, i going to tell you one last time about Green Mountain Dental Group up in Lakewood. The best damn family-owned dentist in the metro, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like all of us. Our sales director, Lindsay, had her wisdom teeth removed there just a couple months ago. She said it was literally, I'm telling you, it's in the copy right now, it's literally the best dentist experience of her life. You can schedule a cleaning and x-ray and exam right now, and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. And let us know when you go there. Start taking care of your 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 mouth, guys. It's like the it really is the entry point for all of your health. They tell you this: you have good uh, oral hygiene, you're gonna have a healthy heart. You know all these other things, these residual effects of it. It all starts right there. Um, and so you can go in. You're afraid of the dentist? I'm telling you, you don't need to be. These people are great. Um, up, up at Green Mantle Dental Group. And once you start going, you get more comfortable going there. And it's really not as scary as you think. So remember, get a cleaning, x-ray, and exam at Green Mountain Dental Group and you receive a free Sonicare toothbrush.